We're going to part four of this whole series. Right, let me attempt to go nearer. Okay, uh, part four of this whole topic. And today we're going to talk about the suddenness of the rapture. All right, suddenly the rapture of the church. Uh, I want to encourage those of you online and on site as well, the handout, uh, the outline of the entire message is in the BBTC app. Okay, uh, by now you should know what is the BBTC app. You all have smartphones, please download it, BBTC app. The entire outline is there because if you try to copy some of the notes and the thing, it may be a little too much, all right, until you have to wait for Wednesday or Thursday when it's uploaded on the website. Okay, I hope you get it. Um, a quick recap, all right? The whole purpose of this study is that we will correctly divide the Word of God. We will correctly divide the Word of God. And so for many of us, myself included, we need to unlearn to relearn, even by the Holy Spirit. Even the Apostle Peter had to unlearn and relearn. Uh, as we read it, it, it towards the end of 2 Peter uh, 2. And there are various differences in terms and meanings. Uh, over the course of this uh, series, you will know the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You need to divide and know what is the rapture and what is the second coming. You need to know what is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, primarily for Israel, as differentiated from the gospel of grace for all of us, for the church. You need to know the difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And then finally, the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. All right? In the subsequent parts, I'll cover four and five uh, in greater detail. Uh, a quick recap of the overview of three groups of people. To better understand the prophetic scriptures, we need to know that God deals broadly with three groups of people. All scripture is profitable. All scripture is for our understanding and instruction. But not every scripture is written specifically for the church. So if you think you can read from the Gospel of Matthew all the way to Revelation and apply it to the church, you're going to be troubled, all right? Because many of the things may not, uh, does not pertain to the church. Uh, some of the things are written for Israel, some are for the Gentiles, and some to the church. And therefore, applying a scripture to the church when it is meant for Israel or when we apply it, uh, or vice versa, it will lead to confusion and misunderstanding of the prophetic word. Okay? So for some of you, over time, as you listen more, uh, you will grasp and put it in its place. From the beginning of time, when God first created man, from Adam to Abraham is mankind. Uh, we have the examples of mankind, people who are after God, like Enoch, like Noah. They were later called Gentiles. And then because of the wickedness and the sin and so forth, God in His mercy and grace called forth a category of people uh, from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and He called them Israel. So the nation of Israel was created and then from that point of time onwards, there were two groups of people. The Israelites from the nation of Israel, they were later called Hebrews from the book of Exodus onwards. Later on, they were called Jews, especially in the New Testament. And then, so Israelites and Gentiles, or Jews and Gentiles. After Jesus ascended to heaven, He placed His blood on the altar in heaven. All right, the specific verses is Hebrews 9, 11 to 12 and 14. And from that point onwards, a third group called the church was created. And as the Son of Man, Jesus became the first man in this new group. Today we are in this window of grace, all of us. Regardless of what nationality, what ethnicity you are, everyone, Jew or Gentile, who believes and receives Jesus as Lord and Saviour, in this window of grace, you become a part of the church. Okay, you become a part of the church. So, diagrammatically, uh, mankind from the beginning of time, then the nation of Israel was created. Up to the time of Jesus, there were only two groups of people, Gentiles and, or Jews. All right, then the church... Uh, all who are Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus, they are a part of the church. The church began at Pentecost. The church will end at the rapture. Okay? Then we shall be followed by the seven tribulation years and then the second coming of Christ in the battle of Armageddon. Uh, and then in the millennial kingdom, in the 1,000 year reign and rule of Christ on earth, the kingdom of heaven, which is primarily the Israel, the Jews, will merge with the church. All right. So we will be in our new glorified bodies, which I'll talk about in a moment, together with Israel in the Millennial Kingdom. 
and then they will end the 1,000 years and then we will be ushered into eternity. Okay? Um, today, this is a roadmap. I want to emphasize four things. Number one, that the righteous is always delivered from the wrath of God. Number two, we're going to talk about the new, raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified bodies. We need to know what happened. I received uh, an inquiry through the, the admin email. All right, what happens when a person dies? All right, I did this message many years ago. I'm going to recap some of this. Uh, what happens to the church in heaven? And finally, a general exhortation that we need to take heed. We need to watch. We need to pray and look for the blessed hope. All right, firstly, the righteous is always delivered from the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 we have to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God to come. I want to emphasize here, the seven tribulation years is the specific wrath of God. The rapture delivers us from the wrath of God to come. And then this is the fulfillment of the promises of God for the church. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Okay, Now to grasp this, we need to know the difference between trouble in general. Trouble, trials, pain, suffering because of the fallenness of men. John 16, 33, the verse that is on the wall as you come up the driveway into the church. In the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have pain. In the world, you will have tribulation, all right? Sickness, earthquake, and all the things that we talk about in the past pulpit. Uh, and for Christians and the church, persecution and martyrdom of believers. And this is because uh, the world hates God. Jesus has already said the world will hate you. And uh, one of the several worst times, two markers will be during the time of the Roman Empire. Many Christians were crucified. Many Christians were killed. They were thrown into the lion's den. They were burned alive. They were impaled on the pole. Uh, especially during the Roman times, and during the time of Hitler, Germany, you have probably heard of the Holocaust, all right? But all this belongs to the category of living in a fallen world, trouble. We must distinguish trouble, persecution, martyrdom in a fallen world from the wrath of God. In the case of the wrath of God, God personally, specifically will unleash His wrath. And who will He unleash the wrath to? The unbelieving world that hates God, that doesn't want Him, and the unbelieving Jews who reject Him. All right? So this is meant for those who don't want God in the first place. God's wrath begins with the seal judgments. There are three categories of judgments in the seven tribulation years. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And in Revelation 15 verse 1, we are told after the seven last plagues in them, then, after the seven bow judgments, the wrath of God is complete. It begins with the first seal that is broken, it will end at the last bow judgment. There is a lot of views that, that comes up, all right, if you read in the recent 10, 15, 20 years, that talks about the pre wrath view and so forth. And it, they only uh, uh, hold on to the view that God's wrath, uh, that we are saved from God's wrath, that began in the middle of the tribulation. No. It doesn't begin in the middle of the tribulation. I'll talk about that in the subsequent messages. It begins with the first seal at the beginning of the seven years. This is a very important point because if you don't grasp this point, you're going to get ourselves a little messed up in terms of the timeline. Um, the righteous always delivered from the wrath of God. Isaiah 13, 6-11. The day of the Lord uh, is the wrath of, the, of God. Verse 6 of Isaiah 13, Wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. <clears throat> it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, uh, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Verse 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations will not give their light. Uh, and so and so forth, verse 11, I will punish, this is the wrath of God, I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. God himself says in verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, 
and the earth will move out of a place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. This is the wrath of the Lord. So the principle in scriptures that God spares his own people. God spares the righteous from his wrath. The Lord always rescued the righteous in him before his judgment on the unrighteous, before his judgment on an unbelieving, God-hating world. He always delivers the righteous saints. They are always safe, always preserved, always rescued from God's judgment. Many of us here, we are parents. We love our children. We care for them. We provide for them. We love them. We want to bring them up. All right? And uh, momentarily, we may punish them or whatever, but we don't unleash our wrath on them because they are our blood. They belong to us. They are blood and flesh. And we, we love them. Similarly, God and us. It doesn't make sense for Him to love us, to save us, and to unleash His wrath upon us. Okay? So we're going to look at several examples in Scripture. Firstly, <clears throat> uh, the Lord raptured Enoch in Genesis 5. Enoch was not a Jew. He was not a part of Israel yet. Or he was part of mankind, later called Gentiles. And Enoch is a type of the church in pre-tribulation rapture. You see these typologies even in the Old Testament. And later, the Lord rescued Noah and his family. Noah and his family is a type of the remnant Jews and the believing Gentiles in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Noah and his family were saved through the flood. They did not escape the flood. But they were saved because they were in the ark. The ark represents the presence of God. They were in the ark and God saved them through the flood. Similarly, the remnant Jews who believe, the remnant Gentiles who were remaining on, on earth, they will go through the seven years tribulation, the flood, the great flood which is the judgment of God. But they will be saved. So we see various typologies throughout scriptures. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 18 and 19, the Lord revealed to Abraham <clears throat> what he was going to do. The Lord always spared the righteous, and in the end, in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's only one righteous, Lot. Lot was saved. Israel at the Red Sea. In Exodus 14, the Red Sea was parted for Israel. And after the Red Sea was parted for Israel, Israel crossed the Red Sea, the Red Sea thereafter was God's judgment on Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. And if you read Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it is a judgment on Pharaoh, Egypt, and the gods of Egypt, the demons of Egypt. Uh, now, subsequently, all these are verses that we can stand upon, that God delivers us from His wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from God's wrath, from wrath through Christ. Here we are talking about God's wrath. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 9, this is Peter writing, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, out of tribulations, out of trouble, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. The day of judgment is the day of God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 To wait for Jesus, His Son from heaven, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The righteous hidden. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3 uh, Even this uh, Old Testament prophet talks about Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice, seek righteousness, seek humility, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Jesus told his disciples many a time, don't fear those who can kill body, and, uh, body, but they cannot touch your soul and your spirit. Fear God who can destroy both. And here we are talking not about man's anger, we're not talking about the devil's anger, we're talking about the Lord's anger. Uh, Revelation 3 verse 10 and 11. Jesus told to the church in Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one will take your, your crown. You keep us from the hour of trial. So this word, take out, uh, take, keep, you, keep you, in Greek, is the church taken out of. 
not through the trial, not through the tribulation, as what happened to Noah that went through the great flood. Isaiah 26, 20 and 21, Come, my people, enter your chambers. You look at this uh, prophetically, typologically, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself as it, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And so on and so forth. Here, this is a reference to the remnant Jews in the last three and a half years. The last three and a half years, they will be saved, all right? Where the devil will go all out to go after them during the seven tribulation years of God's wrath. Um, who are the righteous? Today, as we apply this to the church, we are the righteous. The righteous are those who are born again. The righteous are all those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're watching online, listening to this message, and you have never invited and received Jesus in your heart and life, respond at the end of the service, go to the breakout room and speak to somebody. Uh, the righteous are those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you are born again, if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have a relationship with God. You have the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Commune with God. Build on this relationship with God. This is the best test whether you are born again. This is the best test whether you are saved. There's a world of distinction between coming to the house of the Lord, coming to church or attending a service and yet do not know God. If you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. You may be a young believer. Commune with God. Relate to Him. Uh, you are justified. You have the righteousness of God in Christ. That means you are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When Father God looks at you, He looks at you with no sin. All our sins are under the blood. All our sins are covered by the cloth of righteousness. John 3, 16, we are familiar, but the last verse of John chapter 3, he says that he who believes in Jesus, the Son of God, has everlasting life. But mark the words in yellow. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Whoever rejects God, whoever hates God, whoever doesn't want God in their lives will suffer the wrath of God. It's a choice. It's a choice for all mankind. And throughout scriptures, throughout the 6,000 over years, God has continuously revealed Himself. All right, I'll talk about this another time. Through creation, through conscience, through Christ, through the prophets, all right, through the church. John 14, verse 1 to 5. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. There are many mansions prepared for you. So the Lord says, I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you, believers, Christians, those who are born again, unto Himself. And there we are, we will be with Him forever. This is the promise of God. Okay? So we're going to be with Him. How are we going to be with Him? I'm going to talk about, we're going to have the new raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified bodies. Okay? Uh, now, firstly, <clears throat> I want to explain this as a recap. In the Old Testament, before the cross, all those who die righteous, all those who die believing in God, they go to a place called paradise. They go to a place, uh, paradise is also known as Abraham's bosom. All right? This is in Luke chapter 16. What happens is when they die, their bodies turn to dust, whether they're eaten by shark, they decompose, whether you're chopped to a million pieces, all right, uh, the dust will return to dust. But the soul and spirit of the righteous dead, all right, goes to the presence uh, of God. All those who die after Calvary, all those who are New Testament righteous dead, since about 2,000 years ago to today, all right, like my mom four or five years ago, uh, like whoever you know who is a loved one, who, all those who die righteous did, we immediately go into the presence of God. Our bodies, which is in ashes or whatever that remains of them, which has been decomposed, all the body and ashes of the righteous dead, Old Testament and New Testament, when the rapture occurs, our bodies in dust and form is going to be united with our soul and spirit, and the dead in Christ will rise first, we will meet them in the air and together as one, raptured together to go with Jesus. Alright, in green. Follow? 
all those who are unrighteous dead in the Old Testament, all those who are unrighteous dead, those without God, they go to a place called Hades. Similarly, today, in the New Testament, up to today, all those who reject God, those who die unrighteous dead, they also go to the same place called Hades. In Hebrew, it is known as Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. In Greek, it's known as Hades. And they will be resurrected at the second resurrection. This is mentioned in Revelation 20. And at the second resurrection, after the 1,000 millennial years, there will be the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, when you look at the book of life, are there names written in the book of life? If it is, they will be saved. And if they are not, they're going to end up in the lake of fire that burns forever and forever. And this is a fact. There are all kinds of theories that say there's no such thing as lake of fire, we'll be annihilated, we'll just vanish, boom, no more, alright? Uh, all kinds of lies and deception by the evil one, but this is the reality, which is why one of the purposes of this message is that we will be burdened to continually pray and reach out to our pre-believing loved ones. And the other purpose, as I'm going to share in subsequent sessions, is that we will appreciate the cross, we will appreciate the love and the mercy of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 55. Now, this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood, as we are now flesh and blood, we are all flesh and blood, <clears throat> cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. This mystery was revealed to the apostle Paul. Peter did not have this mystery. Peter did not understand. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. This trumpet has got nothing to do with the trumpet judgments of Revelation. This is a very unique, one-of-a-kind trumpet. This trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, we shall all be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruption, the mortal will put on immortality, and when it has put on incorruption and immortality, all right, then death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? This is our hope. We will all be changed. We will all have the new, raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified bodies. <clears throat> it's stated just now in the verse, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, we must be changed. We will be changed and receive the new, raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified bodies, alright? Our bodies will be changed from mortal to immortal, corrupt to incorruptible, alright? Flesh and blood, as we are now. We are all flesh and blood now. What is the life force in our living? It is in our blood, which is a principle spelled out very clearly in the Old Testament. The life, our life depends on the blood. That's why when you are sick, when you're not well, when you have cancer or whatever, you go for a blood test. R&D, research and development, continually in the medical field is to develop all kinds of tests, all right, uh, through the blood, through the DNA, through the saliva and so forth to determine the cause of our sickness and so forth. So our being, all right, our life force in, as we are flesh and blood comes from the blood. But once we are raptured, we, are, we become flesh and bones. We become flesh and bones. Uh, where does it say that in Scripture? Uh, a couple of places. One is Ephesians 5.30. We are members of His body. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus, when, after His resurrection, I'm going to give you the verse in a moment, He became flesh and bones. So we are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. Ephesians 5.30. And Ephesians 5.32, Paul says this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This distinction is very important. So when it is flesh and bones, the life force comes from the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, Jesus is the last Adam and it is described, He is the life-giving Spirit. <clears throat> Not the first Adam. The first Adam died. But Jesus is the last Adam. He's the life-giving Spirit. That means the Spirit of the living God all right, will give us life through our flesh and bones. Uh, I mentioned this before. When Jesus first resurrected in John 20, 17, He said to Mary, Do not cling to me. Why? I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
So immediately after Jesus' resurrection, after He appeared to Mary, Jesus ascended to the presence of the Father. He placed His blood on the altar. All right. Now, don't think in terms of time. All this happens very fast. And then He had the glorified body and immediately, simultaneously, He descended uh, down to Hades, uh, to paradise, to set free all the Old Testament dead. The diagram I showed you just now. Okay? And then He remained on earth for 40 days. And immediately after, uh, after He led captivity captives, He appeared in the upper room. John 20, 27. He said to Thomas, Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my sight. Do not be unbelieving by believing. By then now, He has His glorified body where the law of gravity has no effect. The glorified body. This is the body we're going to have. As we see Him, we shall be like Him. Okay? Philippians 3, 20, 21, Paul calls this, in verse 21, uh, He will transform our lowly body, flesh and blood, that it may be conformed to His glorious body. We're going to have the glorious body. So it's the raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified bodies that we will have. And Jesus had it after He ascended to the Father and He descended, alright? So at the rapture, all of us will have these glorified bodies. So, if we summarize, right now, physically, we all have our physical, corrupt, mortal bodies, flesh and blood. In the Bible, there were people who were resurrected. But when they were resurrected, they were resurrected as flesh and blood. Again, like Lazarus, alright? That the guy with, whose daughter died. Uh, like the, 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 the son of the widow, uh, the son of the lady during Elijah's time and during Elisha's time. They were resurrected flesh and blood. But for us, we were going to have the glorified body. Glorified body which is flesh and bone. Okay? You want to take note and study further the, the three set of scriptures. Ephesians 4, 8 to 10 talks about Jesus ascending and descending. <clears throat> Matthew 27, 52, 53 talks about when Jesus uh, brought captivity captive, some of the Old Testament saints, not all, some of the Old Testament saints, they appeared in Jerusalem before they finally were, uh, went up into the presence of God. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 talks about our rapture, all right, of the verses which we've gone through again and again. Thirdly, the church in heaven. We are not, it's here right now. We will be raptured anytime. The rapture is imminent. When the Antichrist confirmed the treaty with Israel. So watch what is happening to Israel. Right now you have all the Abraham Accords where Israel signed uh, the peace treaty with all the different nations in the Middle East. Watch for the final one where this treaty is confirmed uh, by the Antichrist. Then it will trigger forth the seven years tribulation judgment. The, the clock will tick when the treaty is confirmed. Then what happens? The church is in heaven. We are raptured in heaven. There are two major things that happens in heaven. Number one is the judgment seat of Christ. And number two, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I want to mention uh, both these things, the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper. Because this is very important for us as a church to grasp. As a church, we are saved not by faith and works. As a church, we are saved by faith only. Feed sola fide. That's a sola scriptura, right? Only faith. However, this only faith, as Jude has warned us, there is a segment of Christianity that pushes this to its extreme. And we call it extreme grace, hyper grace, super grace, and so forth. Forgetting that for every believer, there is the judgment seat of Christ. There are consequences. Okay? And, and uh, not... And, People in that category of hyper-super-duper grace hardly mention this part. As if we can keep on living our lives because our sins are forgiven, we have the righteousness of God in Christ. But pay attention to this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. This is the believer's judgment. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, every believer, will receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, and mark the words in blue, whether good or bad. You compare this verse with 1 Corinthians 3. If it is good, you get a reward. If it's bad, you will suffer loss. What that loss is, I don't know. We have to trust in God's justice. There will be loss. But you are safe. You are barely safe. 
So don't just think that, oh, all I want to do is have a passport to heaven, I'm saved, all right? I want to live my life, eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy life, and all that. And at the last minute before I die, I will 1 John 1 9 and so forth. Fat hope. Why fat hope? Because 2 Peter 1 tells us if we stray away from God, if we move away from God, from the church, from the body of life, he says that we, will be, we even will forget John 3, 16. We will forget 1 John 1, 9. We will forget that we've been forgiven. We will forget about the cross. We will have straight so far almost cut off from the life of God. Verse 11, Paul goes on to say, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What is the terror of the Lord? Here, Jesus is no longer your Savior. If you remember Revelation chapter 1, there are three descriptions of Jesus. He is He who was, who is, and who is to come. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was crucified on the cross. Today, the cross is empty. He was buried. Today, the tomb is empty. He rose from the dead. He was the Lamb of God. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus is He who was, who is. Where is Jesus today? He's at the right hand of the Father. He is our apostle. He's the high priest of our prayers, of our confession, the confession of our faith. And then who else is Jesus? Jesus is He who is to come. When John the Apostle in Revelation 1 saw Jesus who is to come, John was trembling in his pants. He was shuddering. The Bible says in Revelation 1, he fell prostrate. He dared not even lift up his eyes to look at the Lord because here is Jesus the judge. Jesus coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His eyes is like blazing fire. His feet is like burning brass. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what I'm doing now. That's what I'm telling myself. <clears throat> we persuade each other. Let's live soberly, righteously, godly. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Our conscience is that which tells us what is right and what is wrong. And that's why as believers, God cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow. There are consequences in this life and consequences where we meet the Lord. So the grace of God, the love of God, God cannot be mocked. He is not only loving, kind, that He is also just and He is also righteous. It's a mockery if we just talk about the grace of God, the love of God, without talking about the justice of God and the righteousness of God. Our sins will find us out. Therefore, anything that is not settled on this side of heaven will be brought up on the other side of heaven. Then the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where we come back with the Lord. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. Uh, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his wife, has made herself ready, <clears throat> and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Okay? And uh, verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, the church is returning with Christ at the second coming. You can see the scriptures on the screen. For those of you who are online, uh, ordinarily I'll get you to read, but because of the live streaming, <laughs> let me just read, alright? Uh, Revelation 19.11 I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. And Jesus who sat on, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Pay attention to the word. Every word of scripture is important. He judges first with justice and with righteousness. And after the judgment is made, war. He doesn't just make war at random. He judges and makes war. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire. <clears throat> and on his head were many crowns, which is why he's the king of kings. Which is why we say the church, the disciple, is a priest and a king. You and I are priests and kings. And because we submit and we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Thirteen, he was clothed with a robe deep in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Written King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 14, And the armies in heaven, you and I, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that he will strike the nations, that the nations will be the unbelieving world at the time. This is at his second coming. This is the battle of Armageddon. 
where all who hate God, all who are not believing, all who despise God, all after all that is happening in the seven years, they still will not repent. Revelation tells us that. They will still raise their fists against God. He will strike the nations and He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron. No more grace. The window of grace is over. That's why we say, seek the Lord while He may be found. He cannot be found. No more grace already. Too late. For He Himself will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This has to sink into our heads. This has to sink into our hearts, into our spirit. Because if this doesn't sink in, we will not appreciate the cross. We will not appreciate the elements of the Lord's Supper. We will not be able to worship God as a true worshipper. The more we appreciate the wrath and the fierceness of God, the more we can appreciate the loving kindness of God, His mercy and His grace. So this is what's going to happen. The same diagram I showed earlier on. The second coming of Christ in the, with the saints in the battle of Armageddon, they will usher in then the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, and eternity future. Therefore, what shall we do? <clears throat> we must take heed. We must take heed, pay attention. We must not have that attitude. All I want is a passport to heaven. We must take heed, we must watch, we must pray, we must keep on looking for the blessed hope. How long do we have? I don't know. Maybe a couple of years, it may be 20, 30 years, relatively short. We're not talking about another 100 years. We're not even talking about another 75 years. Go to the most conservative uh, estimate from all that you know from the prophetic scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Relatively short. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 and 14 to 17. Therefore, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words. As a church, as we live today, as we look at what's happening in the world, look at what's happening in the US now, it's going to get worse. Within 24 hours, the president of the US signed a law. What's you going to see? You're going to see LGBT activism having a new bonus. This thing about gender, transgender, toilets, and so forth. And it's going to embolden a lot more things. It's going to come to Singapore. It's already happening in one of the schools, all right? Uh, the family will be attacked. There'll be confusion about male and femaleness. Now, most of us who are sitting in this uh, sanctuary, and those of you watching online, we're probably okay. Who are they after? Our children. Our children. If your three-year-old son says, I want to be a girl. If your four-year-old daughter says, I want to be a boy. All right? Confusion, their biological sex from their preferred sex from their friends, they're all going to be so to speak, influence in their minds, in their thinking, through movies, through books, in their schools, and so forth. This next generation, they're going to grow up all right, uh, as though it is a choice. God, the Bible says very clearly, God made us male and female. So, does it bother us? It should bother us. If you've got children, you've got grandchildren, it must bother us. Sex education, the male and femaleness, marriage, all right, fornication, adultery, is going to affect all of us. But for us as a whole, we comfort one another that Jesus is coming back. Verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, this is the New Testament saints, those who sleep in Jesus. 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain like all of us now, remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Those who are asleep means those who died in Christ. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. He's going to come back from heaven <clears throat> with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. This is the same trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15. Not the trumpets of Revelation. And the dead in Christ will rise first. My mom's ashes will rise first. My mom who died four or five years ago. So will your loved ones who died. All right. Verse 17, Then we who are alive, let's say if Jesus comes now, all of us here in this sanctuary and all of you watching online, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. So where, where is the meeting point? In the air. We're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And from that point onwards, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Titus 2, 11-14. If you heard the first part of this whole series, it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, how shall we live? Soberly righteously and godly. 
And what else do we do? Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As we look to the blessed hope, we must understand what is happening and what is going to happen. That's why we are doing this series. Because the more we understand what is happening and what is going to happen, the Lord wants us to do a few things. Be burdened for the lost. The Lord wants us to better appreciate the cross, the elements. The Lord will help us to become better worshippers of God. We will appreciate the cross. We appreciate the mercy and the grace of God. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 2 Timothy 4.8, finally, there is a letter for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous church, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who love His appearing. All who love His appearing. I want to submit to you, those of you who are watching online, and those of you who are here. It does this last two weeks. I got several people telling me, some believers in BBTC and elsewhere, not ready for the Lord's coming. Lord, don't come back yet. <laughs> I'm not ready. I've not enjoyed myself enough. I've not uh, done this and that the other. Lord, don't come. They don't want the Lord to come. And this sounds, uh, uh, there's all kinds of responses. And you wonder why. If their burden is for their loved ones, they are yet to know the Lord, I can understand. And this is where, where why we do this series is for us to reset our values. Some of us are just so earthly bound. We love our pleasures in this life. All right? Uh, we have learned from this pulpit church, we only hold extremely tightly to two things in our life. We hold extremely tightly to the Word of God, to the promises of God, to the covenant of God. And we hold extremely tightly to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Outside of these two things, everything in life we have, we hold, but we hold loosely. Even our spouses, even our children, even our ministries, even our finances, even our pleasures, that we can go to restaurants, all right? Of course, now you've got this cup about Chinese New Year, only have <laughs> eight people can visit and so forth. All right, hold loosely. Uh, this is where we have to reset our values. What is important, what is not so important. What matters for eternity, what is only good for this lifetime. We have to rethink, all right? Uh, from time to time, as we go through this journey, and for some of us, there is time. The Lord is coming for those who love His appearing. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, this is a mystery, Paul says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When it happens, it happens very fast, in a nanosecond. I'm going to show you a video. This is different from the previous video you show. <laughs> but it's the same message. <laughs> all right. Uh, take a deep breath, sit up, all right. Uh, get ready for the sound, all right. Let's show the video. Body of Christ, Jesus is soon to come. The scripture says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He will come when you least expect it. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come anytime. We must be ready. After the rapture, 
the church age is over. There'll be a gap of time. I don't know how long that gap is, which is why the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, it can happen now, soon. I don't know whether you watch the news. Israel has mobilized all their reserves currently. Because if you read the news, all right, uh, the Israeli Defense Force says that Iran has reached a level in their preparation for their nuclear plant. They have crossed the line. All right? And given what is happening in the US, a new president and so forth, anything can happen. I don't know. All right? Whether it will kick off and trigger off uh, this Iran, Turkey, Russian alliance, uh, or it can happen. Uh, I don't know how long this gap of time will be. We're here today. The rapture can happen anytime. But after the rapture, it's no longer the church age. Those who remain, and even if they believe, they're going to go through a hard time. And after that, the treaty is going to be signed and confirmed by the Antichrist with Israel. It will be another category. So there are different categories of believers. But those who have heard the word of God and rejected and hurt and neglect, all right, they're going to pay a heavy price. But thank God, God in His mercy is going to send forth 144,000 evangelists all over the world in the first three and a half years. Many, many will be saved. A great multitude will be saved. And you're going to send forth the two witnesses. They're going to perform signs and wonders. And especially for Israel. Israel is always looking for the sign. And many will be saved. And all those who are saved in the first three and a half years, the mid-tribulation says, I believe that number will, is very significant. More than, I think, mankind from beginning until now. A great, great, great multitude will be saved. And then after that, things are going to get worse when the abomination of desolation is going to be committed by the Antichrist in the middle of the seven years. And then the last three and a half years will be terrible times. So, uh, almost two-thirds of the Jews will be wiped out, leaving the last one-third remnant. And they've got to flee. From the mid-tribulation, they have to flee to the mountains. I'm going to talk about that uh, next week. Leaving the remaining Gentiles, and then the last three and a half years, the second coming and after that there'll be a gap of time the 75 days only 75 days before the kick uh, and the, the ushering of the millennial kingdom I want to end with this scripture Romans 11 22 the last slide please Romans 11 22 it says therefore consider the goodness and severity of God the goodness and severity of God the goodness and the severity of God. The goodness of God is the grace of God. Now, we're in this window. This is the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. But also consider the severity of God. Because in many of our minds, in the way we've been brought up in our Christianity, in the way we have been discipled, we, we don't think of God as fierce. I mean, maybe some of the Chinese gods or whatever, right? Brother, I mean, I've been brought up going to temples and all that. Some of them, they look so fierce. Or you go to Hopa Villa, all right? You get frightened, all right? But in the, we don't think of the Christian God, our Yahweh, Jehovah, as fierce. But this is what Paul says. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fail, those who reject God, those who stray away, those who backslide and so forth. Severity. But towards you, currently, if you are still believing in God, connected with God, if you have some sense of consciousness of walking with God, some sense of consciousness, consciousness of the rapture, I can tell you not many believers, many churches, are talking about their rapture or the end times. In the interactions with many pastors and churches, all right, the world as a whole, Christianity as a whole, all over the world, all right, not many. Because... Right now, the, uh, a type of the end-time church is the Laodicean church, Revelation chapter 3. It is cold, it is poor, it is miserable. And in fact, in there, many do not even, not, not even born again. On those who felt severity, but towards you, goodness. And I wonder why Paul used this word, if. It struck my mind. If you continue in his goodness, it's conditional. Otherwise, you also will be cut off as Israel were cut off. I am still thinking, meditating, all right? Uh, yes, we have our assurance of salvation. If you are saved, you are born again, you are spirit-filled, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we are assured of our salvation, Jesus is coming back for you and for me. But this is a warning. Perhaps not for, that's for us, it's for the people that we know that we are to share the Word of God, encourage each other. I met a group of pastors just two days ago, encouraging each other, 
Alright? I met two groups of pastors encouraging each other to meet, to exhort one another, let us spur each other to love, to faith, and to goodness. Gathering in our cell groups, in our small groups, how can we uh, reach the remaining members of our loved ones and so forth? The goodness of God. That's about this past week, someone sent me uh, some news about what's happening in Lebanon. I got a, a couple of contacts in Lebanon. And you know what people in Lebanon, today the currency is almost worthless. The debit credit cards all no use because of the blast from the port uh, is devastation. They're running out of money to even buy respirators. People with COVID, all right, they can't, they can't even breathe. They want to buy the cheaper one from Alibaba and so forth. They can't even buy. And it's just misery after misery. Queues for food. Food is getting scarce. And today it's happening in Lebanon. And it's happening in some countries in Africa. Sometimes we are dull because Singapore is so blessed. And Singapore is also blessed. Also, the same thing because of the church. Because of the press for the nation. And therefore, we are reminded again, consider the goodness of God. And I want to end on this note. As we consider the goodness of God, God is merciful now. I said two other things, two other objectives apart from reaching our loved ones, two other personal objectives from this whole series. That is the number one, we appreciate the cross, the death, the bodily death and the shed blood of Jesus. And as we appreciate the cross, the second thing is that we will step up and become a better worshipper. Step up and build a stronger altar of thanksgiving praise and worship. When you come into the house of the Lord and those of you who worship at home, that means hearing all this that's going on, we, we cannot afford to be casual in our approach and coming into the presence of God. We must come as true worshippers. We must come to be grateful. So I want to end with this worship song, The Goodness of God that the goodness of God will allow the Holy Spirit to stir our spirit, to stir our emotions with gratefulness and to a point of total surrender to God.